Geico presents, oh, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Contour from Cox has all your favorites, all in one place. And with the Contour Remote, you can use your voice to find them on live TV, on demand, and streaming apps like Netflix, Prime Video, and more. See Cox.com for details. From Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. And we are the art history babes. What's up, everybody? Hey. Um. So, how's it going? How's everyone's week been? Um. We're here. We're recording. We're in my house. <laughs> These are all true statements. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted just to speak give some, in truth. I just wanted here. to give some affirmations. You know. <laughs> are those affirmations? <laughs> I mean, it's true. <gasps> we are in Jen's house. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to have you guys here. Me too. We've my never first really time. recorded in my house. Um, those of you that may follow me on Instagram, I like to share stories of my tiny house, and it is quite small. It's like super cozy. Yeah, it's it like cool. Cozy. It's actually a pretty cool little spot to record. So today we are we're diving into the archives of emails. We have so many emails. Yes. I mean, we love it, though. Yeah. Honestly. Keep sending emails. Send more emails. Yeah. We want to drown in emails. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a lie. Obviously, if you listen to us, you know that we try to respond to listener mail every episode. We just can't get to them all. We have a lot of them. If yours hasn't been read, don't take offense. The ones that are chosen are kind of at random, so it's not... It's nothing uh, personal. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but this episode, we're just doing a little bit of fun thing. We're going to do a Q&A. And we're going to try and make our way through a handful of those emails and answer some of your questions and chat about some some topics that have been brought to us via email. Yeah, this one's just, it's for the fans. <laughs> so this goes out to all our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean... We've said this before, but there are days, you know, those those life days that are not so great where all of us have felt um, bad <laughs> and um, <laughs> and we'll we actually will read our reviews and read our emails from you guys and they really make us feel good and positive. So it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Thanks for those of you who spread some positivity in our inbox. Yeah. It really does. Jen's right. It really, you know, can make our days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let us begin. Uh, which one should we do first? Let's just start with number one. Number one. Okay. Is number one at the bottom or the top? <laughs> <laughs> Let's Question start at the, the top. Night. Let's start at the top with our friend Rebecca who we actually had a class with, oh. and she's a sweetheart. 
Wait, what? You don't <laughs> How about you read this one, Jen? <laughs> okay. Read the email. Um, Rebecca, she says, hello, ladies. I don't know if you remember me, but I took a class with you. 200A. Oh, I remember you, Rebecca. <laughs> I came across your amazing podcast through other Davis grads. Congrats, by the way, on graduating. Woo! Thanks, Rebecca. We're pretty <laughs> excited about it. I haven't heard your Europe podcast yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I've been bringing your podcast. I've been binging your podcast and it makes me really miss art history classes. I've been living in Japan for the past year and a half and I'm thinking about doing grad school here. That sounds so cool. Yeah, it does. Oh, Japan sounds so cool. As I just finished your ancient Greek monsters podcast about the monstrous feminine, I found some deep parallels with Japanese art and mythology, especially one recurring figure that I label the waiting woman. Usually, this is putting it briefly, sorry, it's lacking all the juicy deets. These women are loved by a man and they have a brief yet intimate relationship. The man eventually leaves due to having another family, finds the woman too forward, or finds a younger, more beautiful woman. Ah, isn't that always the way? (laughs) Ooh, this is, um, mm. (laughs) this leaves the scorned woman who only wants to be with her fella, bitter, jealous, and resentful, ultimately turning her into an oni or demon. Oh, I know about this. (laughs) In the tale of Genji, (laughs) one woman becomes a malicious spirit when she sleeps and kills her ex-lover's wife. The most prominent example would be Izanami no Mikoto, the goddess of creation and death who dies after childbirth and enters into hell and how her husband Izanagi comes to rescue her, but sees she is now a rotting corpse and flees from her, (laughs) leaving her less than pleased. Anyway, sorry for the ramble. I just think the monstrous feminine is fascinating, and I was wondering if you would ever do an episode on some aspect of Japanese art, modern or ancient. Keep up the wonderful work. I always laugh during your discussions. All the best from Japan. Also, I would like to send you guys some plum wine. Would you be interested? It's my drink of choice here. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca. So that um, answer yes. a resounding yes. Yes. I love plum wine. So do I. I've never tried it. Plum oh. wine and blackcurrant wine. I love them. Ooh. They're like like a breakfast wine. Blackcurrant wine Very sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like a candle. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't it, it kind of tastes like a candle, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound good, but yeah, it's very sweet. Um, but it it is it's like a it's like a breakfast jam in your wine. It's really good. Let me tell you guys about plum wine. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I have a coworker who um in the past has made his own plum wine, and um, plum wine for some reason something about the fermentation process it can end up being really strong. I'm talking like Lots 20%, of sugar. Yeah. okay, because there's a lot of sugar in yeah, it. that makes sense. So you can get absolutely hammered <laughs> off of some plum wine, and it's fun, but you're going to have like the worst hangover the next day because all that sugar just like sucks all the moisture sense. out of your body. Anyway, Rebecca, I think that we would love to do an episode on an aspect of Japanese art. In, Definitely. In fact, I feel like we've discussed this before. A lot of um, what is behind 
this idea of like modern art is really when like a lot of European artists were suddenly aware of the rest of the world. Right. And so yeah. there's a lot of influence um, in like, you know, for instance, uh, European impressionism, um, a lot of influence from Japanese woodblock prints, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. And um, that's an interesting connection. But even outside of this Western-centered view of Japanese art, I think it would be really interesting to just talk about... I am I love, like, Yukio-A, the floating world mm-hmm. art work. There's um, Japanese horror art. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that stuff? I forget what it's called, but it's pretty crazy. <laughs> that could be maybe our... I mean, it's a ways away, but Halloween next year. Oh, yeah. that'd be a good because thinking we're always thinking about Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah. I mean, there's plenty more to do before next Halloween. We could yeah. definitely touch on Japanese art. Honestly, we can get creepy at any time. Yeah. We don't need True. to wait for Halloween. Um, So, yeah, there's so much but we could do. Just in general, we need to we need to hit East Asia. Absolutely. Yes. We have not really done that we did Ai Weiwei we did Ai Weiwei mm-hmm. um and then we talked about Chino oh the boxer the boxer I can't remember his the last boxer. name but yes the the boxer um, artist but uh, yeah we haven't we haven't talked nearly enough about East, East Asia so we should we should add that to the list definitely yeah, this is really interesting and I love um I love that the monstrous feminine is this like universal archetype definitely um, this actually reading this reminds me of what we talked about in our haunted paintings episode the 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 jilted bride oh. is such a <laughs> famous archetype in uh ghost stories in general everyone knows about the jilted bride ghost um she haunts the halls of every spooky hotel ever it's true and, and i feel like it's very similar to to these myths yeah to here. the waiting woman yes yeah, I, I mean, wonder. God. Sorry, this is kind of a side note. I wonder if there's a like modern day jilted bride though, because I feel like that trope has kind of faded out. But I'm sure something took its place. Uh, the, the you know side what I mean? Trick? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean trick. though? Yeah, like there has to. There's gonna be like a <clears throat> like our version of the jilted bride. Like there must. See, be. I don't know. I I mean, this is me being idealistic, but I like to hope that we're moving in a direction where the jilted bride realizes she deserves better and maybe that's her fucking life. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's it. Forget y'all. And then just, you know, kills it from then on out. Yeah. Just crushes life. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was probably for the best. (laughs) Word or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I I just like, I like imagining the jilted bride uh, finding her independence, (laughs) like crying for 10 minutes and then being like, wait, no, I'm good. Yeah. 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 I'm fine. Girl, you deserve better. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Um, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. And yeah, yeah, we would definitely love to imbibe in some plum wine. Oh, yes. Stay in touch. Definitely. Um, Hit us, us up yeah. anytime. Let us know if you do grad school in Japan because that sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And also just kind of keep us uh, in the know and like what you're into and what you're working on. And we could have you on the show at some point. Definitely. That would be cool. We can talk about your research and such. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. Go Have Rebecca. fun out there. So the next the next email comes from Eileen. Subject, picking my specialty in art history. 
Fellow art history babes, I am an undergrad at the University of Illinois at Chicago. That is where my cousin got his PhD and where he worked for many, many years. I love that school. And I am an art history major. This semester, I was told to start picking classes that will serve the purpose of narrowing, narrowing down my specialization in art history. My dilemma is that I love all art areas. I want to know more about all of the art areas, so I've been listening to your podcasts, and every time I have found something that I super enjoy about each topic. How did you guys narrow down your specialization? Does it help that I am fluent in Spanish and English? I like pre-colonial and colonial art of the Americas, but I also like the Europeans and modern American art. Hope you can give me some advice. This Ooh, girl. is a good question. Yeah, that's loaded. It oh. is loaded. In a good way. Um, of course, it is very helpful that you're fluent in Spanish and English. Um, Just in life. Yeah. Like, that's that's super great. And um, I think that what really helps is um, going with your gut in a lot of cases. In my case, for instance, I kind of came into my grad program just knowing what I wanted to do off the bat and being really stubborn because <laughs> nobody in our program was in any way um, specializing in art of the Americas or like Mesoamerican art or like um, like modern Mexican art, which is like kind of what I did. So I think that if you have a passion for one thing in particular, then yeah. But it sounds like you're all over the map and um, that's okay. You're still an undergrad, so you have some time to really dive into some of these subjects that you're throwing out there, like pre-colonial, colonial art, modern American art. I can speak to that uh, situation quite uh, well. I, too, am just in general in my, my interests all over the map. I, In terms of art, I was totally entranced by all of it. Um, I got to grad school pretty much knowing I wanted to do modern contemporary, but like I wasn't even wedded to that. And modern contemporary is a super vague, yeah, <laughs> like you can do all the things with that. And, and just in general, my academic interests span outside art history quite a bit. I, I'm interested in a lot of other fields and, and trying to connect them to art history and visual culture. So this is a struggle uh, I'm familiar with in a very real way. I wish I had an easy answer for you. For me personally, I did find a topic I was passionate about. I really loved my topic and it was really great. But also at the end of the day, my specialization in at least to me is not where I stop. Like I am very open to doing research in a completely different area at some point. So I think to kind of, I guess, avoid that paralyzing feeling that can come from having to choose remind yourself that yes you will have to dedicate time and energy to what you choose so make sure it is something you do like but it doesn't have to be your whole life you can do your your undergrad thesis your master's thesis on something and then you can change your mind no one mm -hmm. can stop you like it's, and no one will try to yeah yeah, yeah. It's very, and I think, you know, there are great examples of this. Like, um, we met a, a couple years ago at one of our symposiums, we met a scholar 
by the name of Govan. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that guy. Everyone loved that guy. And yeah. he is pretty amazing. And he's written six books. I think he said seven. Yeah, I want to say it was seven. Seven. Yeah, I think he cor- seven corrected. Seven yeah. yeah. right? He was like, oh, wait, seven, seven books. Yeah. And he, you know, he's written books on Baroque, Rococo, architecture, yeah. different countries. Yeah, like yeah. Latin America. Um, didn't he do something sort of um, Middle Eastern as well? Yeah, yeah. And then there was like this crazy crossover because he went to he went to the Middle East and then he couldn't he couldn't read the text. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, like, he was like very wrong, upset. Yeah. yeah, it was like from the wrong century. So like his Arabic was like one century off. Wasn't that yeah, it? Like yeah. it was something so, so, so minute. To cl- minute. clarify, he does read Arabic. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> just the wrong. Oh, I just know the wrong Arabic. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and he didn't realize till he was sitting in the library by himself. Oh. No. No internet at the time. No way to go look it up. Yeah. Amazing guy. Uh, just look him up. He has a lot of really good books um, that you can find on several different subjects in art history. And he's a very successful art historian. And he has studied many different areas and written books on many different areas. So it's not even like you study one area in grad school and then, you know, you can't study other areas in a very professional way. You can. Yeah. Um, like going back to my personal experience, like my, my thesis was on um, contemporary craft activism and how it relates to craft in the past and, and kind of dealing with issues of craft versus art and that the dichotomy that's been created there. I love that topic still. I'm going to keep writing on it. I'll probably present on it. However, I have a million other ideas, too, of things that have nothing to do with that, that I Mm -hmm. could just as easily research about. So make sure it is something you're passionate about. doesn't seem like that'll be a problem for you. No. See, from your email, I'm gathering that you're passionate about a lot of things and so the only reason why you really want to like be able to stick with something for at least the duration of say writing an undergraduate or a graduate thesis is because you need to be like contained otherwise Mm -hmm. you'll never get it done like it's so (laughs) overwhelming when you know like my topic was my artist Enrique Shigoya and his treatment of this this idea of of like a cannibal savage of the new world and and it was very difficult to span about 500 years of colonial history up to modernism and so i had to keep everything like really grounded in like this one vein which was how are these people treating this topic of cannibalism in visual art mm-hmm. um otherwise it would have been insane like all of us halfway through our theses we're like do i even like this like i i I don't even know if i care about this like should i just abandon this and do something else you will have moments like that yeah you're gonna have moments where you're just gonna want to like throw your books like at the wall because you're like i hate this (laughs) (laughs) um so just pick something that's cool but it's not like that's all you can do and you can change your mind just don't stress about it too much because then you're never going to pick anything yeah, and echoing both of you, I completely agree. Take the pressure off of yourself that this is a life-changing decision. Like, mm-hmm. choose something you're interested in. And because you do mention that you are interested in all forms of art, and 
have a very large breadth of art that you're passionate about, um, maybe start with theory and finding um, a philosopher or some writing on theory that you really understand um, because sometimes that can be the hardest part is understanding theory related to art that you're talking about. Yeah. So it maybe if you start with the harder part and you find a theory that you really get and then try and apply art to that theory, that could be an easier direction. To Holy work. shit. That's like the best advice. <laughs> Honestly, it is. No, no listen, good. listen to Natalie, because just I, theory can be in some crippling. Ways, <laughs> in some ways, that's I think that's exactly what I did. I mean, I didn't realize it was what I was doing. But yeah, I was no, always yeah. I was always very interested in both of you. Craft yeah, theory. Yeah, you did craft theory and this notion of like the morality behind. Yeah. And this very philosophical argument. I did this whole sort of um, post-colonial mm-hmm. Uh, you always theory. knew that's where you wanted to start exactly and so when you yeah that's great do what natalie did yeah do that do <laughs> do do that <laughs> that's it do uh, do that <laughs> um but yeah that was i mean that was a doozy of a question i hope we gave you some some good ideas on how to move forward and we wish you the best of luck eileen good luck you go eileen you're gonna be fine all right. Ooh, this is another good question. Okay. This comes from... Oh, I wish I knew how to Oste? pronounce it. Oste. Yeah. Oste. Oh. Yeah, it's a cool name. Wow. Um, do you want to read it, Nat? From Oste. How to sell the importance of art. Dang. Hi, babes. Again, can I just say that I'm the biggest fan of what you're doing. Had the worst weekend recently with loads of sitting in the car driving somewhere and your podcast was a lifesaver. Oh, I have a question that has been on my mind all the time in which I've been interested in art. And that is like 10 fucking years. (laughs) I like you. (laughs) How do you tell how do you tell people that art and art history is important? How do you tell children in art classes to listen and experience art, the art world? How do you get people hooked on it? I perfectly understand that each person has a different interest and it's silly to expect everybody to be equally excited about that. But you always get eyes rolling and that, in quotes, this is useless shit, end quote, attitude when talking (laughs) about importance of art and art history in culture. Do you have any thoughts about how to attract wide audiences to art? I sure have my opinions, but I would like to hear the opinions of people who are masters in art history. (laughs) Damn. So sweet. No pressure. Uh, Masters. (laughs) Master. Master. A little bit of background on why I'm asking this. I'm a graphic design and visual communication student, and I am a huge fan and nerd for art stuff, obviously. Most of my design projects have been always related to art and art history, and soon I will have to start my big graduation project slash thesis, and my main goal will be to create work focusing on the importance of art education. This will probably be a sort of publication, interactive website, game. Interesting. I would like to hear your opinion on the main points I will have to focus on, on what selling points to have. That's a lot of pressure. All right. Oh, man. That is quite the question. Yeah, you're tackling a big problem here, which I commend you for. Which is, uh, I think, a problem we try to tackle with this podcast every day of our lives. That's literally (laughs) um, what this podcast is about. Yeah. Um, So um, we'll give you our tips, but I'm not going to... Pretend to have solved the issue. Yeah, yeah this we is don't basically have all the secrets. This is like every you know person that's ever been like art history. 
What are you going to do with that? Oh, that fucking question. It just grates me. It does. But not it that does. your question is grating us, Auste. No, it's a, it's no, a you great seem to question. Get it. Um, I, I would say that the biggest thing, at least where my mind goes and, and what what I think we're trying to do with this show is making art accessible to people helps the importance shine through. I think for many, many years, really since the dawn of modernism, there has been a big divide that has happened where people get very intimidated by art and they feel stupid and they feel like they don't like they're they're being duped pat- yeah duped yeah. patronized they just feel they feel like belittled he, belittled huh. that's yeah. the word and yeah so that they come back defensive and the defense yes. is to make art feel smaller in order to make them feel, feel superior to it or right exactly it somehow so i think the underlying thing that you have to solve is how do you make it accessible how do you make people realize no actually this does have value and it does relate to what it means to be a human and it does relate to society and politics and every other art form in a very real way because the thing about visual art compared to things like music and theater and movies is is they're just more accessible because there's more bridging of that gap going on you know like there are if you talking about music there is music that you know only like music snobs listen to and no one else listens to and like some people aren't going to get but that people aren't turned off from music altogether because there's a lot of accessible music that is just as important likewise i think part of what we have to do is we have to make all art important Mm -hmm. like we have to like the accessible art forms the things that people are consuming that's why we did that episode on graphic novels you know graphic novels are artwork and they're valuable important artwork just because they're not hanging in a museum so i think part of it is making making art accessible and making trying to blur these distinctions and making art valuable. Yeah. What you're saying about the importance of art education also um, sort of strikes a chord of us because I don't think that very many people realize that in our 21st century meme media age, Mm -hmm. it's super, super important to be able to read images being able to read images being able to understand that you're a lot of times being sold something when you see whatever in the media um things like that i think it's really necessary that we remind people how much of a visual age we are in now definitely every time you look at your phone every time you look at your computer when you're driving down the highway anywhere that you are you're being bombarded with images and this is a new thing this is like the last 100 years Mm -hmm. Um, and it's only gotten exponential so maybe there's something that you can do with your whether it's interactive website or game or what it is highlighting how much we are bombarded with images definitely i think one thing that hopefully we'll talk about a little more moving forward because we've talked about wanting to do episodes on film 
Um, oh yeah. Because yeah, I'm excited for that. Me too. Because some like people don't stop and think about what television actually is television and movies. They're just a bunch of images really fast. They're individual images, but they're really fast. And so as an art historian, we study images mm -hmm. and that's what, that's what movies and TV are, are images. And so if you learn how to study individual images, you break apart things like television in that same way. And you, you learn to analyze what you're consuming in a way that maybe just isn't done enough. It'll um, enhance whatever you're watching and yeah, encourage people, just like Corey was saying, to be more in tune with the world around them and visually literate. And I mean that in a way that, like, everyone can practice it in small ways. Definitely. Like, watching a TV show and picking up on little things from visual culture, from art history, like, that is stimulating in a way that watching TV maybe isn't all the time. So, and you yeah. can feel good about it. Like, when you catch something, it's fun like you get excited and it's not asking someone to step too far out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. so finding those little overlaps where art history and just everyday you know pop culture can be compared to one another is a good way to introduce people and I don't know I'd say in a very broad way this doesn't answer your question very um, succinctly but have grace with people and understand that a lot of times people's negativity towards the art world comes from insecurity not from actual like disdain definitely so try and make people comfortable with what you're talking about and get them excited in a way they understand versus just getting discouraged by people's negative viewpoint initially yeah. i think people yeah, people yeah. will come around if you have yeah. grace with them I, they really um, will i had one example where i was at an art museum with a friend who is not into art and he just like wanted to go with me so he could like learn some things about art and and he did well with it but you know struggled with a lot of things that yeah. some people struggle with and there was one painting that like it caught both of our eyes I really liked it too I don't even remember what it was but it, it there was some painting that caught our eye and we went up to it and he was like I really like this and I was like me too and he was like I don't know what it means but I like it and I was like you like it that's meaning enough yeah and he looked at me like it was the most profound thing anyone had ever said to him <laughs> and like I I think stuff like that is important because I've said this before on the podcast like we study this we think about images we do know a lot about art history obviously we went to school for it but that doesn't mean every time we look at an artwork we know what the artist was thinking yeah it's or not like the fucking like encyclopedia inside yeah. of our brain is rattling <laughs> off like a lot, we can look at things and just appreciate them for what they are visually like any other person and we do a lot exactly exactly we don't automatically know the social context we don't automatically know all of these facts so making people feel comfortable in just liking what they like and and realizing that there isn't it's not some big secret society that they're just like not a part of, I think is huge. Exactly. Discourage that type of thinking and encourage people to just get curious and excited. And they will. They want to. I mean, art's fun. Yeah. Right. Like art is fun and people will have fun with it if you make them feel like they're sitting at the table and that they have a voice. I don't know. Did you guys notice that in TAing? Like having students yeah. that weren't in the arts and then come into a class and you can tell at the beginning that they're really 
not comfortable and mm-hmm. they they kind of hide it behind being like I'm a biology major and this is my first art history class and did it and they like try to assert their lack of knowledge to you know what I mean yeah yeah and it's just that's such a human thing to oh, be yeah. like to put yourself out there being like I don't like, I don't know oh, anything about this, this so don't ex- yeah, yeah so don't expect me to know anything this is just I I know other things but then if you assure them that that's fine and that they bring something valuable to the table and that their unique perspective is something of value no matter what you're looking at then they'll talk and they'll get into it always yeah I think maybe maybe just like the last thing I have to say on the subject just building off that is just remind people that art is a representation of humanity and they are a human so they are as much a part of it as anyone there's else. some art out there for them yeah exactly <laughs> and also just to you know wrap it all up don't get too caught up with having to prove to other people why what you like is um, important you know uh, you can do it and you should to a certain extent but don't let it frustrate you and don't let it doubt your passion yeah yeah because that's one of the most frustrating things as someone who has had to answer this question so many times is that there are days where I do sit down and think like did I waste my time like you know is everyone else right and that sucks and don't let anyone get under your skin you know at some point you need to just be confident that what you're doing is what you want to do and screw the haters Definitely. (laughs) All right. Great question. Moving on. As we watch the suburban garden gnome carefully, carefully without disturbing it, we notice that it moves like not at all. It's inanimate and utterly without brain function. But despite that, when a garden gnome hears about how Geico not only saves people money, but also gives them access to licensed agents 24-7 online and over the phone, it's clear to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. But on second thoughts, maybe don't watch Garden Gnomes too carefully. People might talk. This is a quick one from Lauren. I love listening to you guys. It's so fun to get great knowledge about the history of art. It helps me so much with my uni degree. God, I love the word uni. Can we just use that in the States? Uni. Uni. I love it. Where are you from, Lauren? Um, I'm guessing somewhere in Europe, but... Um, I can't find your podcast on the Android version of podcasts, so I specifically have an iPod for listening to you guys. What? But I just really wish Androids were compatible. Thanks for always being happy and fun to listen to. Okay, first off, that's the sweetest thing ever. That is very sweet because some people would be like no. fuming at us for not <laughs> having what they need right away. Um, So that is super sweet. However, we do have a solution to this problem if... You are like Lauren and you're wondering, you know, how do you get the art history babes? We are on a lot of Android compatible apps. Yeah. We are on Stitcher and Podbean. Those are both mm-hmm. Android compatible. Mm-hmm. Stitcher's apps. the big one, right? Yeah, yeah. Stitcher's the big one. A lot of Android users use Stitcher. Um, I know Laughable's gonna be on Android soon. Oh, We're cool. on there. My you boyfriend guys, loves um, that app. Podcast addict. That's what I use, and I have Android. I've never even heard of that one. We're on that? That's good. Yeah, that's where I get <laughs> us. That's where I get our uh, Bodega Boys. I love that podcast. Love the Bodega Boys. <laughs> Jen's the resident expert. She's our Androidian. I am an Android. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just 
if that is an issue you're having out there, know that there are plenty of options. You, as sweet as it is, you don't need a device just for listening. I to mean, us. that's cool that you have that. I know we that's so appreciate nice. you so much. But also, yeah, get get on Stitcher, get on Podbean, get on Podcast Addict. Those are all available on Android, and I'm sure that there are more. So definitely the show. All right, moving on. Jill, do you want to read Jill? I'll read Jill. Hey, Jill. Subject: Rothko titles. Hey, babes. Love the episode on in parentheses ape shit bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Abstract expressionism. <laughs> I love it. My heart lies in the subset of humans that gush over Mark Rothko's color field paintings. Girl, yeah, us too. To that kind of embarrassing degree. If I saw it as something to be embarrassed about, don't be. That's no. Never. Exactly. Never. It is not. <laughs> you briefly touched on the, in quotes, why the heck do these paintings have multiple numbers, end quotes, question. And it wasn't until recently that I found out the reason behind this and thought that I'd share. Oh, my God. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> <laughs> as a synopsis. With few exceptions, Rothko labeled all of his work after 1946 as untitled. <laughs> of course he did. When he showed his fully abstract work in 1948 with Betty Parsons, it was believed his work might sell and that the viewers needed a title to basically differentiate between them. According to Rothko's daughter, it was their mom that actually numbered the paintings because Rothko really wanted nothing to do with it as he disagreed on a conceptual basis. The paintings were numbered loosely on an annual basis based on when they were exhibited. For example, if a piece has multiple numbers, it was exhibited in multiple exhibitions during the same or different years. And multiple paintings can have the same number but different dates. That's not confusing at all. I know. <laughs> Rothko's son, Christopher, published Mark Rothko from the Inside Out in 2015 and has a whole chapter about why the work was titled the way it was and how it does or doesn't serve the piece and Rothko's intentions. The book as a whole has some neat insight. If any of you want to dig deeper, love, 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 Jill. Jill. Thank you for that information um, because that, we didn't know that. That is some valuable information for any Rothko fan out there. That I'm, book sounds really cool. I'm Again, literally title, looking up the book right now. You're looking at the book? <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, right after we released Abstract Expressionism, a listener tweeted us that they had just seen Christopher Rothko give a talk what? about Mark Rothko. And they were just like so jazzed because they just listened to our episode. And I was like, that's wow. dope. I wonder where, yeah. where was the talk? Do you I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Chris, I'm not sure. Christopher Roth. Is, is Chris on tour? Can, I don't know. Can we catch Chris somewhere? Yo, Chris. Where are you at? Where are you at, boy? All right. So Mark Rothko from the Inside Out 2015. We can get it on Kindle for $16.99, guys. Oh, what? That's that, a deal. That is a deal. Check it out. That's Thank really you, cool. It kind of reminds me of... um. Of how museum objects are labeled, you know. Have oh, you guys yeah. ever noticed, like, an object la object labels? They mm -hmm. have like the year and then some sort of like numbering. Yeah, system. some kind of Dewey which, decibel. Yeah, it's like, like the year and then in which order they were acquired or what's it called? What's the word? Assumed? Uh, is that the word? No, no I know. I know assumed. what word you're thinking of. They were attributed. No. 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 It's an A word. It is an A word. <laughs> I, uh, I can't remember. Uh, I thought it was assumed, assumed, but that doesn't sound right. No, I not don't think acquired, so. Not acquired, not assumed. Acquired? No. 
assessed (laughs) (laughs) now i'm just throwing words out maybe jill will write back to us and be like jill do you know (laughs) jill Jill what is the word she would know jill help us jill (laughs) solution jill will you be our official fact checker (laughs) oh please oh my god anyway that is really cool Um, yeah god we love rothko that was that was such a fun episode that was a fun episode oh another tweet we got we got some good tweets on that one a listener tweeted us and said that our comparison of rothko and casper david friedrich blew her mind Dang. Woo! I was like, yeah, you're I welcome. L- I love any chance to blow someone's mind. The really sublime, cool. man. It'll blow yeah, your mind. Yeah, it really will. Oh, man. It'll blow your mind. I love I love just the concept of it. Just me too. It's one of my favorite things in art. Makes me feel crazy. And in life. I love the sublime. Yeah. Yeah, so you do. That's <laughs> one of the first things I learned about you, <laughs> which is great. Were we in theory when we talked about oh, that? I'm sure, I'm I think sure it was we before were. theory almost. I want to say it was like over coffee or drinks <laughs> Probably or something. Probably like I had just met you, but like you want to talk about the sublime. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, you know, I normally hate Kant, but, <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, man. Critique of judgment. <laughs> Thank you so much for that information. We really appreciate it. That was great. Love getting emails like that. If there is something we talk about that we maybe don't cover fully in depth or you know fun facts about it, please email us. Mm -hmm. We love the follow-ups. We love learning more. So email us with any other knowledge you might have. Carol, Nat, I think it's your turn to read Carol. It is. Hey, babes. Wanted to send you some listener mail. I got introduced to you while I was listening to the History Chicks. Thanks, History Chicks. Thanks, History Chicks. They're the best, by the way. History Chicks. They're pretty awesome. Uh, You should check out their podcast if you haven't. Right back at them. Go look at theirs. Listen to theirs. What do you do with podcasts? (laughs) Just look at it. (laughs) Stare at it. (laughs) Just download the episode and look at it. (laughs) Don't even press play. (laughs) That would be an interesting, like, performance art. Download a podcast and just look at the image for as long as the episode is. Oh, dang. I don't know what purpose it serves, but. That's very uh, John Cagey. Yeah, I'm feeling Cagey. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) They gave you guys a shout out and I let. And I let out an audible gasp and then obsessively listened to all of your shows. I'm a high school art teacher and I've always loved art history because it's the most essential study of humanity, in my opinion. Agreed. Right? In all of our opinions. I was at an art teacher professional development thing this summer and a couple of teachers were talking talking shit about teaching art history and saying that only teaching current artists is the way to go. And it pissed me off. It really made me doubt myself, but then I started listening to y'all and it renewed my spirit. I feel like it's improved my teaching style too, and I've been able to affect a more relaxed, silly approach, and I don't think my students are bored to tears. Sometimes I wish I could play your episodes for them, but it's not too school appropriate. We know. (laughs) We're working on that, Carol. Uh, Question. Do you keep track of every time you say you should do an episode of something as an aside when you're doing a podcast? Thanks for being awesome. Love you guys. Respectfully, Carol T. Carol, 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 we do keep track of that. Well, as of recently. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, some of them come back. Um, We if you listen to us pretty much every episode, we're like, oh, my God, we should do an episode yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, pretty silly. It though. gets away from us from time to time. Honestly, like I think they're all genuine, but um, it, for a long time, we weren't really keeping track. We had some that we remembered and we would I think, you know, we all have our 
our notebooks, our scattered notebooks, and we'd keep, yes. we'd jot them down. But as of recently, we're, you know, we're hitting the business angle of things hard. We're, we're becoming more organized babes. More savvy. More business savvy babes. Stricter. So little shoulder shake Leaner, with the savvy. Stronger. <laughs> harder. We're just, we're savvy. We're just getting savvy. <laughs> Dang. You guys did not see the amount of sass when Natalie just said that. It was cool. I was doing my best. Um, John Mulaney. John Mulaney. <laughs> <laughs> Just some, just a couple of business babes. <laughs> business babes getting savvy. <laughs> um, so um, we've got a list, though. Yes, we have a we have a list now. Um, we keep track of shows we know we want to do, mm-hmm. ideas we come up with, and also requests we get. Some still are gonna slip through the cra- cracks because there's just so much to talk about. But yeah, we do keep track. So for all of you that do send us requests especially from here on out, they get put on the Google Doc. Also, to comment on your other comment, if you weren't already aware, we are trying to get to a point where we can make our episodes classroom-friendly. Once we hit our first goal of $300 a month on Patreon, which we are almost to, by the way. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. Once we hit that goal, then we will start working on making edited versions available so you can play them in front of children. You can play them in classrooms. Those will will obviously take out swear words. We'll take out anything that might be a little bit more risky. That does not mean we're changing the original format. The That's all staying the same. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're doing the episodes the same. We're not taking anything away. We're just going to add the option of the edited versions they will be available on our website yes i kind of wanted to um not combine this one but um there we got another email that was and i'm not going to read it but it was essentially saying um from a, a listener that was worried that our edited episodes are going to lose yeah. the feel of the podcast so basically expressing concern that our podcast is going to change and um, we want to quell those fears we are not going to start just having censored podcast that's not what it's going to be yeah we're literally we're literally talking about taking episodes that have already been recorded taking out things like curse words you know really like risque inappropriate stories yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) inappropriate anecdotes things that would not be okay for a classroom setting yeah multiple of us have done child care in different capacities Mm -hmm. are comfortable around children and all of that so we understand pretty thoroughly what should come out and what can stay and yeah we're just trying to offer an additional resource for people who are interested and sweet people like carol who so sweetly showed that they would be interested in that yeah no we just didn't know if there would be a market for that originally and now that there is we would love to accommodate it exactly we're just trying to extend our reach but in no way changing the way things are done because we we totally agree we love the format of our show too that's you know it's part of the fun. We like the uncensored nature of it all, and that's not going to change for all of you, all of you dirty people out there. <laughs> yeah. We're dirty too, friends. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that was a very common. We had we got a couple of we got a lot of messages. I think people misunderstood. Yeah, people were like, no, no, yeah. <laughs> um, 
we're gonna keep it grimy yeah we're g- <laughs> it's staying oh i'm writing that down that's going we're on keeping merch. it grimy it's gonna stay risque honestly as long as i'm on this podcast it's <laughs> not gonna be yeah. a censored podcast but yeah like we're literally just talking about taking episodes that are already done and editing them and all of our future episodes are going to have the same candid nature and they will then be edited in order to have um, accessible episodes for classroom setting for parents that want to listen in the car but they don't want their kids to hear us you know throw out f-bombs and, and talk, yeah talking about our grimy stories <laughs> i'm thrilled about this because i'm gonna make my dad listen to all the clean versions dad i know you're probably listening right now and i love your support but you need clean versions <laughs> why why what's go- oh why can't why can't why can't fifi listen to the dirty version? he can but Shut i just up. imagine you it making him, him fifi because <laughs> nat called him fifi in the in one uh, of our episodes probably i call my dad by the most he just has the best name for nicknames no I, yeah. I don't remember what episode it was but you called him fifi and i imme- vaguely remember immediately, that immediately Fifi. immediately you were like <laughs> i am so sorry <laughs> <laughs> because i call him all these cute nicknames behind his back and i never call him to his face so then i realized that like he's gonna hear it and i was like oh wait <laughs> it's not the same as me just calling him like fee or felix or felix the cat but like your but your your sister like you want yes exactly my little sister. sister likes listening and she is a sweet freshman in high school and her little ears need to be preserved for a few more years so <laughs> um, sorry baby girl but if she's in high school it's too late <laughs> Those I kids are, are wiling out there. That's kind of true. Um, it's true, but she's she's an innocent angel, so we'll keep it that way for now. Um, help us get to that three hundred dollar mark, and we will slowly start making those edited yeah. versions. That takes time, obviously. That's not mm-hmm. an easy project, mm-hmm. which is why we are requesting funds um, to make that happen. It's something we would like to make happen, but you know we're already at our max right now with with the current content. So. If that is something you're interested in, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Donate to our Patreon. Let's yeah, make liter- it happen. Literally, if all you can donate is a dollar, like people do that. We and it's have a ton of dollar donations. We have and so many. That, yeah. It makes me happy. I'm it like, me too. What? Because it, it means up. they care enough yeah. to go in and give what they can. Yeah, they it put doesn't, their info. You know, yeah, well, it doesn't need to be Well, just think about it. I mean, think about it this crazy. way. Like if we have... 6,000 listeners to this episode and all of them donate $1. That's $6,000. Like, so yeah, we will take your $1. Like, yeah. We- Thank you, Carol. That was a great message. And we would love to get you those clean episodes for your class. And I'm so glad that we inspired your teaching style. That yeah. makes me very warm and fuzzy. All right. Our next email from Maddie. Art history, babes. Thank you for making my commute to class easier and for creating a playful space where the history of art can be explored further. I wish I had a group of gal pals to talk art history with, but unfortunately, our conversations are mostly about who the next bachelor is going to be or if Kylie Jenner is really pregnant. (laughs) I have a question and I think you guys could help. I absolutely love art and design history. In my first year of college, I took an art history course and fell in love. My favorite artist designers are Frida Kahlo, Lautrec, and jo- jo- George Lois. Is it Lois or Louis? I don't know. I'm not familiar with him. Not familiar. Um, who is a very unusual 
and loud and I think would be a great subject matter for you guys. But that's another email. We'll look into him for sure. I yeah, think it's Lewis because that sounds familiar. I'm looking it up. And, continue. He's, and he's loud. He's loud. Okay. I also recently found a new love, Karita Kent, thanks to your recent episode. Anyway, I became so emotionally infatuated with some paintings and became so obsessed with them that I don't know what I would do if I saw them in person. Next year, I am planning on studying abroad for my art history minor for the first time, and I am afraid that I will burst out into tears if I see original paintings from Frida Van Gogh, Da Vinci, etc. Is that normal? I am a very emotional person, and I'm nervous people will think I'm a nut job for getting teary-eyed over some paint on canvas. Mm, I can't wait to address this. I I only recently became worried because a few months ago, I was deeply studying the architecture of the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and visited it for the first time and cried my eyes out. Please let me know if this has ever happened to any of you and how I can stop myself from acting like a crazy person without knowing myself from the beauty of these original paintings. Love all you babes. Maddie. This is fun. This is a fun question. Oh, (laughs) Maddie. We do not think that that is unusual. Yeah. Okay. First and foremost, do not, don't you dare numb yourself. Don't ever. Don't you dare do it. I will Mm -mm. find you and I will be upset. (laughs) It is entirely normal. I think having an emotional reaction to something is one of the most beautiful experiences you can have. It's something that happens to me regularly. Probably my most intense moment like this was when I went to the Pantheon in Rome for the first time. It was one of those things where, like, I remember learning about it in class, and I remember my professor telling me, like, I don't even know why we're talking about this because it's nothing like it is in person. Like, um, she was very... She was like, you you will not understand the Pantheon until you see it in person in a very like honest way. And I was like, huh. And then I saw it and she was 100% right. It was so overwhelming. Just the gravity of the architecture and, and the history, like the, the fact that it's so old and so impressive and just the way the effects of the ceiling, like how the um, geometric like rectangles like hoppers yes yes um and and then on top of it there's the cool like there's the center that's open the oculus yes and and then (laughs) (laughs) jen on the vocab (laughs) (laughs) i went to art history school (laughs) Um, and then also there's there's tombs of multiple important artists. The crypts. And no, the crypts. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, and then on top of it, there were street performers outside that were playing beautiful music. And it was around evening. Sun was starting to set. It was stupid. I was bawling. <laughs> it was so stupid. And I mean that in the best way. I mean, just bawling. She's getting like teary eyed right know. now. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I just cried and cried. And I, I was there with other people in my group. And they were very patient with me. And, and honestly, mm. like, I just like let it happen. I wasn't going to be ashamed of how I felt. And a lot of because I was on a study tour and a lot of the girls that I had met that I'd come to be friends with on that on that trip like they appreciated it like they even if they didn't understand it they were like wow like that's a really genuine reaction you know yeah um and so if someone is going to give you shit for being emotional about art that is kind of a soulless person so who gives a shit that's just 
wrong yeah of anyone <laughs> to say that to you um girl yeah we've all i think had emotional responses to art and architecture I remember the first time that I saw Diego Rivera's murals at the National Palace in Mexico City. I was super overwhelmed because it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable how much just square footage this man covered like in paint. Um, it was really overwhelming. He's one of my favorite artists. Most recently, though, when we were all in Paris at the Musée d'Orsay... I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, you are. that was pretty is good. That, is that right? We saw the most amazing exhibition. It was called was a good one. Beyond the Stars, the Mythical Landscape from Monet to Kandinsky. And I was so emotional walking through this exhibit. A, because I was quite hungover. That's what I was going to say. It was partially the hangover. Very, but. very hungover. The night before was insane. Oh, my God, it was. <laughs> I was, like, looking over the pictures and videos from that night in Paris. Oh, no. I haven't oh done it yet. my God. I don't even want to. No, you should. It was so fun. It was, like... So fun. There's what this a amazing video of me passed out, like <laughs> sitting up um, on the couch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and these assholes put like nope, just filters. This asshole. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> no, it was, it was, that no, one was, we both did it. That oh, one was me. Yeah. Oh, shit. They yeah. put Sorry, like Snapchat filters okay. over we, me. <laughs> we were both equally assholes. Yeah. <laughs> if was, anyone, anyone who knows me will know that after I've, exceeded a certain amount of alcohol i will fall asleep anywhere it's impressive <laughs> always sitting like, up yeah, yeah. Well, like, she doesn't take the time to lay down no. most recently <laughs> our friends had this soul train party <laughs> and it was super fun it was so great we had such a good time we had such a good time but jen jen was done and she's ready to pass out she sat down on the couch <laughs> she fell asleep this was probably around midnight <laughs> The party <laughs> continued literally. So the dance floor was right <laughs> in front of the couch. The dance floor was right in I front of the couch. I sat down and was donezo. She <laughs> sat down on the couch, <laughs> fell asleep around midnight. The party continued till 3 a.m. And she <laughs> slept through it all. It was so impressive. Like we were all dancing for hours <laughs> and she was just asleep. It was like really an impressive situation so that's a little tidbit about me uh, i will s- <laughs> i will sleep anywhere if you've given me enough alcohol um which honestly in the grand scheme of things that you can do when you're drunk i'm i'm not very no i'm fine with yeah that. no that's great yeah. that's a great move <sighs> that's really the best you can do <laughs> so the day after very hungover went to the musee d'orsay saw this amazing show and i was so emotional and the reason why, besides the hangover, was the fact that we had just graduated from grad school. And the last couple of months of our program were absolutely insane. Lots of tears, lots of stress, and not getting enough sleep. And mm-hmm. and then we immediately went to Europe for two weeks. Immediately. Um, and so I had this kind of fear that I wasn't going to have, like, moving like feelings about art yeah because you were burnt you were burnt out totally burnt out and um it was so exciting for me to see this amazing show and to feel just so moved by this work and um it was like it was an impressionist show it was 
specifically works dealing with like mysticism mm-hmm. and spirituality through being in nature. Yeah. And it was I love, amazing. I love all those words. Oh they my make God. me feel warm inside. Yeah. Like we were all just, we were in there for so long mm-hmm. and we're just, you know it was so good it was so good i hope some of you have seen that exhibit I because hope it was so good yeah i hope as many people as possible saw that like exhibit. honestly for real so i notoriously i have horrible hangovers like really it's just been my way of life right like ever since i started drinking i have really bad hangovers and when i'm hungover i do not want to do a single thing ever like nothing i i am really really bad at being hungover same it, it's just really terrible a lot of the time <coughs> i want to do nothing but watch saturday night live reruns all day long yeah and sleep and this was one of those rare occasions where i enjoyed being somewhere else and being hungover like it's like i forgot about the hangover i think that that's accurate i really did forget about the hangover I remembered the hangover when we left the exhibit, <laughs> but um, it was just, it was amazing. I like, I didn't quite cry, but I felt, you know, that, like that feeling right before the tears come out, like that's how I was the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was so amazing. And so anyway, um, the bottom line <laughs> is that feel what you feel, just girl. feel it and just don't worry about it. If you look like a nut, so what like it's like i said it's their problem yeah yeah don't worry about it and quick follow-up i agree with all of that first of all (laughs) but um the reason that the name george lois sounds familiar to me is that i have one of his books my cousin got it for me for christmas and it's called damn good advice for people with talent and it's really cute it's like one of those quick kind of read handbooks oh nice um He's written other books, but that's the one I own. And he is a like famous designer. He did a lot of like marketing design and stuff, but Dope. he kind of revolutionized it. Like he made marketing really artistic and like design oriented versus just trying to like cool sell shit to people aggressively in in a tacky sense. Is he loud? Yeah, but in a cool way. You guys would appreciate it. And I, I'm only familiar with his design work through his book. And in that book, it just has little examples of things. As he's giving advice, mm-hmm. he's like showing things that he did and like how he kind of turned things on their head and did things interestingly. So, Maddie, if you don't have damn good advice for people with talent and you like George Lewis, you should read it. Nice. We That's should all, all read say it. about that. Yeah, all it's right. cute. I'll pass it around the gang but great question maddie i think that's uh, an experience a lot of people deal with advice from art history babes you do you like feel feel your shit man yeah it's okay to cry it is and maybe just as someone who hasn't actually cried in a museum in front of a painting i think i have once no (laughs) but so here's what here's what i'm coming from is i'm just kidding that was a little blow i'm just playing no it's it's all good but like i have not ever seen someone super moved by a painting and thought anything negative even if i'm looking at the same painting and thinking of it in a different way so don't necessarily take people like looking at you or like glancing as them judging you like they may understand where you're coming from or appreciate it so have some confidence in your feelings and just go for it and don't assume that people are judging you because Likely if they're there, they get it. Yeah, definitely. Even if that's not their experience. All right. We've got another one, another email from our girl, Brooke. She's emailed us before we've looked at some of her artwork. And I think Jen should read this one. (coughs) Okay. Brooke, subject title, 
METAL in all caps. <laughs> Brooke says, hey, y'all. Sorry, I live in North Carolina. Mm, no, we all say y'all. Yeah, I say y'all every day of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's an efficient word. It is. Yeah. You I, know? I love randomly. it. Yeah. I think it's cute. And yeah, it's efficient. Mm-hmm. Y'all. It's y'all. perfect. I love it. Brooke says, I had my first show and it was a success. I gave out lollipops and stickers. It was so much fun making those art moves. I love it. Getting there and feeling really proud. Also, I want to message you about how I love that Jen is a metalhead because me too. Jen, do you like French metal? Do you like stoner metal? It is my favorite metal subgenre. Even better, French stoner <laughs> metal. Caps lock. Heck. <laughs> so good. That was literally all in caps lock. She's so <laughs> excited. I hope you've listened to Alcest, Mastodon, and Gojira. Those are my going faves at the moment. Yeah. Metal. Happy Brooke. Yeah, that's it. LOL. Y'all have a great October. Brooke, of course I listen to Alcest, Mastodon, and Gojira. Say, by the way she pronounced them, you could tell she <laughs> listens to them because Corey and I would have been on, like, girl. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> sounding them out. I just wanna, I just wanna say real quick that I adore this message. I mean, like, it, I love it. It's not even geared towards me, and it's just like so. She's so excited and so honest. I just love yeah, this email very so much. Yeah. You know, um, I do love French metal, and honestly, I feel like Gojira is the best metal to come out of France, although I think that other people would argue with me, and there's so many different kinds of metal that come from all over the world. I've never listened to French stoner metal. I'm not super huge on stoner metal. Um, Can you explain stoner metal briefly? Stoner metal is sort of in the same line of things like doom. They're very slow and like drudgy, a lot of like heavy bass. Bands like Sleep, Electric Wizard, these like very droney that's all i can think of i'm curious it. i would like to listen to this yeah i'll put yeah. some stuff on it's really great when you're stoned, stoned. as fuck <laughs> i saw sleep last year in san francisco they played at the warfield theater and i don't think i've ever been more stoned in my entire life <laughs> um and so if anyone's ever seen sleep um they're awesome Go see them. I just really like the name. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like everything you're describing to me. Sleep I... is a great band. And they are so loud when you see them live that the vibrations of the bass make you feel like your rib cage is like going to fall apart, which is sounds scary, but is like a really cool feeling. Seeing sleep is always like having a really intense like meditational experience um so i do like a lot of stoner doom um i love gojira they're such a good band mario duplantier is like the dopest drummer that guy is so cool and like he's super sexy um all those guys are so awesome um mastodon i'm not like the hugest fan of mastodon but they're fun um my favorite metal i listen to a lot of black metal and I listen to a lot of extreme metal. So really, really fast, loud stuff like Nile, Origin, um, <clears throat> these kind of like, I don't know how to explain it. Just wall of sound, <laughs> like <laughs> just so loud. <laughs> God damn it. I love I love metal. 
so cool. <laughs> it's just the best. I get so excited about it. And yeah, I go to a ton of shows. So if you're out in North Carolina, Brooke, you know, keep an eye out. There are a lot of great bands touring right now. Make it out to some shows. Um, follow me on Instagram. I am always posting videos of me at shows. The sound is really horrible, but you can, you know, see what I'm doing. Keep it metal, Brooke. And I'm really glad that your show was a success and uh thank you for listening and Corey, i think this would be a good time to mention our next little venture that we're going to be sharing with our fans on spotify ah uh, yes ah uh, yes okay so this is really exciting um this is something i i kind of started last year and then you know got sidetracked with grad school and everything um but just grad school we just i mean there's not really anything on it yet but we just opened a spotify account so you will be able to find the art history babes on spotify and our podcast isn't up on spotify yet because they have like a lot of specific rules to get our podcast on spotify but what we're going to be doing is designing individual playlists so what you can expect is one playlists that are tailored to our individual music tastes because we all have different music tastes so um you can see you know if nat created a playlist or if i did or if jen did they're all going to be very different so we'll have individual playlists but also playlists inspired by artworks i did one i did one on fregonar's the swing and it was super fun so yeah i forgot you did that yeah it was a while back it was when i was procrastinating (laughs) writing my thesis (laughs) we should Um, make a list of all the things we did when we were procrastinating (laughs) oh my god that'd be a great blog post i watched every single episode of the golden girls (laughs) yeah we need to write this blog post for sure (laughs) we're gonna get a google doc going for that one um but yeah so that's just something to look out for find us on spotify and follow us because we're gonna start putting out playlists for you every once in a while so if you're into if you're into metal Jen will have some playlists for you. Honestly, if you're into pretty much anything, but I think the only thing that none of us listen to is like stadium country. Nope. I don't think. Yeah. So if you're in, there will be holes. Don't expect us to cover everything. Other other than that, I think we've got most things. There's going to be so much. Yeah. Because we all have very different tastes in music. So yeah. Like emotional ass, like 60s soul music, (laughs) some extreme metal, some 90s hip hop. (laughs) That's what you can expect from Jen. I think she just summed up what you can expect. What's What's the Tom Haverford quote? If she's not into '90s R&B, she's on my no, oh no no's list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a oh no no. Um, I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, anyways, get on our Spotify. That is just another fun little project we got cooking for y'all. Um. All right, Chrissy's email. Nat, do you want to read it? I got it. Hello, art babes. I love, love, love your podcast. Currently listening to Color Theory Part 2. Oh, it's a good one. (laughs) It is a good one. Both the Color Theory episodes are, they're fun. (laughs) I want to re-listen to this. Me too. I'm also a very big Van Gogh fan. Seriously, though, how can you not be? And there's a really amazing episode of Doctor Who where he goes back in time and meets Van Gogh. It is one of the best episodes from the show and makes you feel all the things at the end of it. I'm a huge museum enthusiast. All through college, I would wander around the Museum of Fine Arts Boston and the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum with my headphones and listening to a specific playlist I made just for the occasion. What are your favorite museums and what are the best exhibits you have seen? Love you all and look forward to listening to more. Chrissy O'Brien. 
that's another fun question. Yeah. Well, to start, weren't you there that day? I think you had already seen the Doctor Who episode, but Maisie sh- was showing me. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In the grad room. I remember watching it because I got goosebumps and tears I, oh, I in cried. my eyes. Um, you can find just the scene and you yeah. don't need to watch. You, if you if Doctor Who's not your thing, you don't even need to watch the whole episode. It's on YouTube for sure. Yeah. You can just find this scene from Doctor Who. And yeah, I watched it with you and it is so beautiful. <laughs> like I, yeah, I had tears in my mm. eyes. Definitely. 100% I was crying. And <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's not even a question. Um, it's just basically, yeah. What would happen if you could show Van, G- <laughs> if you could like show, like take Van Gogh to the Van Gogh museum now and he could see everybody. <laughs> he was just a hungry guy. Appreciating him. He was just a hungry guy. And you could see everybody just like loving his work and like, ev- like the fanfare surrounding oh, it. And he gets, and he, you could just, tell he like he's so taken aback and it's really beautiful <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I, yeah when i think about it oh man that's such a fucking like intense scene it is and it, it's so well done i i don't watch doctor who i don't know anything about doctor who same but, but that scene is beautiful yeah um, need to, to appreciate the scene all you need yeah. to do is know a little like all you need to know is that Van Gogh was not appreciated in his lifetime. That's he, literally all you need to know. And he was sad. And he was hungry. Yeah. He was sad and he was hungry. Um, There is some evidence that shows he was maybe more appreciated than we claim. But still, I mean, he wasn't the Van Gogh I think he it is, is yeah. today by any means. Well, and it embodies how he, he seemed to have felt about his work, mm-hmm. which I think is more important to the scene and the mood you get from the scene than how other people viewed him it's more like how he saw himself exactly i think i think what's so emotional about the scene is the fact that we what we know about his like mental health state and what we know about just like his struggles with mental health and then to just to see someone who really had those kind of issues just see how much everyone loved his work yeah and i don't know it's just it's very beautiful. It's like when you're feeling really down and then you someone who like really loves and appreciates you explains how they see you through their eyes. Yeah, it's like yeah, that, yeah, but like yeah. in a whole museum setting. And I have to show Corey this awesome oh, sweatshirt from a girl I went to high school cute. with. It says let it go, like G O G H and it has a self portrait of Van Gogh on it. <laughs> very cute. I have actually a sweater with that same self portrait of Van Gogh. It's super faded now, it didn't last very well. But it's the same self-portrait, and then it has um, a Beyonce lyric underneath, and it says, uh, probably won't make any money off this, oh well. That's amazing. (laughs) There's, I can't remember, there's some store, uh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but that's what they do, like, rap lyrics over famous paintings, and they're... They're fun. See, I guys, you don't have to be an art history buff to appreciate this stuff. Yeah. Just, like, base knowledge, it makes it all really fun. Oh. Um, but to answer your question, oh, man, <laughs> we need to we need to finish these up. Okay. To answer your question, favorite museums. Um, the first museum experience I had that was really transformative was the Walker in Minneapolis. It's an amazing contemporary art museum. It's an amazing sculpture garden. I've been there a handful of times. 
Um, if you're in the Minneapolis area, you absolutely must go. It was I was 16 and I went on an art trip with my art class in high school. And it was like it was one of those things. It was an art trip in high school. So like we went to two museums and then we went to the mall. You know, it's like what you do in high school. And it, I just had this really transformative experience there. Like so much of the art was like nothing I'd ever seen at that time as just a 16 year old girl from Iowa who, you know, didn't grow up around art or anything. I was just like blown away. And I remember I came home and I was hanging out with my boyfriend at the time and I couldn't shut up. Like I just kept talking about the art and he had no idea what I was talking about. And he was just like, I don't get it, but that's great. And I was like, "Uh." (laughs) but yeah, so the Walker, the Walker is continues to be one of my favorite museums. It's a fantastic institution and yeah, definitely had a transformative experience there. The, Institute of Art in Minneapolis as well. Minneapolis got some dope museums is also great. And the Institute of Art, or it's either, actually, I think it's the Art Institute, but um, is free. So I've had some great experiences there too. So honestly, I would say those are probably my top, my top two. And then going back to earlier in the episode, our Musée d'Orsay experience was amazing. legit. Yes, uh, amazing. Just the fact that it was so amazing <clears throat> when I was unbelievably tired and hungover like mm-hmm. i i can't wait to go back when i'm at full capacity like it's just an mm-hmm. amazing place um Agreed. yeah geez favorite museums i'm just gonna stick to one right now because i'm writing a blog post on it um look forward to that um the museo de dolores olmedo in mexico city it is so cool so Dolores Olmedo was a lover of Diego Rivera and a very rich lady. And uh, with her money, she bought this very old colonial hacienda in Mexico that was crumbling apart. It was in a very uh, poor state and she poured a bunch of money into it. It is now the most beautiful museum it's like you're visiting like a super wealthy person's house because that's essentially what it was. And it has one of the largest collections of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera work, as well as a ton of old Mesoamerican um, artifacts, artworks. There are peacocks everywhere. They're super loud and annoying. Peacocks are the worst birds ever, (laughs) but they're beautiful. And this really like cute part of the museum where all of her squinklet dogs are located. They live there. Squinklets are those super ugly Mexican hairless dogs with all kinds of weird like skin tumors. They're fugly, but they're really just sweet. And um, so... (laughs) Amazing artwork, beautiful grounds, ugly dogs, loud peacocks, amazing place. Visit it if you're ever in Mexico City. And I'll just keep mine to a very small, um, probably little known museum outside of Northern California, but the Hess Collection in Napa. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's a good one. It's such a little hidden gem. Is is it okay? I think 
so. I don't know for sure. I don't know that either. That place has been through a lot. They had the yeah. earthquake and now all the fires. Or well, yeah. The, the, earth, the earthquake away, didn't affect Hess. The no, it didn't. Like, but the fires were everywhere, so I don't know if that hit Hess yeah, or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, um, I mean, when I went, first of all, they have Gerhard Richter and Anselm mm-hmm. Kiefer, which are two of the artists that I wrote my undergrad thesis on. So they had two out of three of my artists. I was sold immediately. But they have Franz Gertz, who does amazing portraiture. I bought his book after that. Robert Motherwell, Frank Stella. I mean, they just have such amazing. It's a great work. collection. Yeah, you can. T- so you do wine tasting downstairs, and mm-hmm. then you go upstairs to this museum and just see amazing contemporary art. And it's it's intimate, but it's really well done. And I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I love Hess in the same vein. The DeRosa is fantastic yes. as well. Uh, Agreed. Such a cool spot. There's some really great contemporary art just hidden away in Napa. Yeah. Yeah. We're really lucky in this Northern California area. We have a lot of really cool kind of hidden stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. We got two more. Let's, let's try and power through them real quick. Cause this one's getting kind of long. Uh, Haley. All right. This one's kind of deep, so we'll do our best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hi babes. Huge fan of your discussions, your intellect and your overall radness as women. Oh, thanks Haley. As a first-year grad student in museum studies, I'm struggling with an idea I hope at least one of you has had experience with. The idea is object agency. Some call it material agency. I would try to explain further, but I might murder it. Have any of you discussed this in relationship to museum objects? Oh. I know the two of you took museum studies classes. Did you guys talk about object agency a lot? Not I am vaguely familiar with the term. Not a lot. Um, our museum, well, at least my museum sort of um, studies experience was in a much more like practical sense. I don't even know. I don't want to murder it either. I don't either, but I guess <laughs> I'll go for it. So I'll be the scapegoat if this is all wrong. It, it's the idea of elevating an object so far beyond its material purpose that it like kind of loses its... Like no? its original function. I or think. I think. At least this is this is my gut reaction. Is that object agency? I think you're right, but I think object agency is more like giving the object agency outside of the social implications or the whatever whatever we place on it. Okay. So object agency is more so it's material purpose it's 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 agency as an object <laughs> um outside of the meanings that we give it at least that's my understanding of object so it's agency. the positive thing is letting it be looked at for just what it is or experienced for yeah. what it is materially versus trying to place all of the outside things on it yes so that's, would, that's my i mean i've read a little tiny bit about it and kind of also i'm going yeah. off instinct but that yeah it's the idea of letting an object speak for itself without giving too much meaning to it. And obviously that's a very important idea when thinking about museum studies. So an important, easily accessible way to look at it would be like from a method standpoint, it's like writing about methods through materialism. So when you almost like um, visual analysis, like when you have to talk about an object purely for what it is and you can't include any analysis or like history or 
Which can be a lot harder than you think. It is. Oh my God. That was, I think what my students had the hardest time with Mm -hmm. was just pure visual analysis and they would get so frustrated and I felt so bad because I'd be like, you have to cut out these two sentences and they'd feel personally attacked. (laughs) No, no, no. It's just you're talking about something that's not visual. If If you can't see it, you can't say it. Yeah, I think it has to do with the individual agency of the materials of the object standalone. That's it. You know, what yeah. the what the texture conveys just as a texture, what the colors convey as colors, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, and let's be real. Museums, I think, don't do a very good job at this. I think it's hard. It's well, very hard. I don't. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing to just go like to. Like, if you were curating an exhibit, I don't know that you'd want 100% object agency. I mean, it would be an interesting challenge. Yeah. But I don't know that would make a good exhibit. No. So from a method standpoint, what I've seen is, like, it's like an aiding feature of something. But it's uh, it's always kind of a piece to a larger whole. I think Mm -hmm. it's hard to let this stand alone on its own. Like, you couldn't write a whole paper talking about an object's material agency, or it'd be hard to. It would be, like, a segment of it. Does yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, yeah, it would, it would be. I think it would be a very interesting challenge, but I don't know that it would tell a great story, and people like stories. <laughs> exactly. I think that what museum studies students are trying to learn how to do is to find some kind of happy middle, like middle ground. Yeah, balance. Know? Definitely. Yeah. If you have any other, like, we're all just spitballing here. I know. We want to so, I want to know more about this. This yeah. really caught me off guard, honestly. This could be a future uh, episode. Yeah, totally. I think that Definitely. it'd be really cool to do an episode on this. Let's write it down. And if you have more. <laughs> um, <laughs> write it on the list. Yeah, it's going on the list. Um, we need to do, I think, a little bit more research on this. Yeah. Because, to be honest, I don't really think that any of us have ever really talked about this um, in our graduate studies really i don't think that we did at all um so a lot of our sort of background is way more like um like theory based less well we just didn't i mean i didn't take any museum classes so like uh, yeah, and then you guys... Well, we took that museum class that was insane, or you did it again in our second year, but... Uh, they were two separate classes. They were two separate classes, right. One was... Uh, one was, like, when we actually put on yeah. an exhibit. So one was, like, museum theory, and right. one was museum practice. Right. And Jen and I took practice together, so right. we created an actual exhibition that was and kind of was anarchy <laughs> insane yeah it was anarchy you we guys were, did a nice job we were it. like spray really painting did. the quad we <laughs> i'm proud of the fact that we made something and we had something to present it was really political and um, it was interesting we ruffled like, some feathers yeah, yeah no it was an interesting which was really fun it was interesting exhibit i mean it was obvious there was like a million different people involved exactly. in it. exactly that was the but one you, huge problem but like all things considered you guys did a really nice job yeah there it. was too many cooks in the kitchen yeah but definitely. we still but made, you pulled it off we made a smorgasbord <laughs> and it was awesome <laughs> um but yeah so We'll look into that concept more. If you have any insight on object ag- agency, material agency, email us. because um, yeah, We want to know more. We're going to research it and discuss it more because it's just a fascinating. We can forward this information on to Haley in the meantime. Yes. Um, okay. Last one. Okay. So this one is um, from Anonymous. 
who anonymous Bosch. <laughs> anonymous Bosch did not want us to read this email out loud because, quote, it is embarrassing. But guess what? We're gonna read it anyway. Well, I mean, anonymous Bosch. Yeah, I don't see anything embarrassing it's about not it. Embarrassing. Um, but but there is just a an interesting question towards the end, so we're just gonna read that portion and try to address it. I have a silly but burning question. I wanted to ask about the art historical view on Georgia O'Keeffe. Is it true that there seems to be a shared sense of disdain for her amongst fine art elites? If so, why would that be? I wrote a long email rambling on about my interpretation of her work, how it's not vaginas, and explaining my own philosophy on image making. But before I sent, I realized I don't know if it's even pertinent to what you study and if it'd be worthwhile for you to discuss. I know how busy you guys might be. But with your bent on strong, badass females, I thought it might intersect and make for an interesting discussion. I'm a passionate image maker, but have never been able to talk with someone from the art historical side of things. But overall, I just want to say no pressure to respond. You guys are awesome and great. And you have a fan for life. Best anonymous Bosch. (laughs) (laughs) That we have so fondly dubbed this listener. (laughs) Hi, anonymous. Um, This is a fun question. Honestly, I wish I was more well-versed on O'Keefe. I guess I don't know that I've necessarily seen a disdain for her. I think that there's kind of this like cultural stereotype that Georgia O'Keeffe's flower paintings are just very vaginal and or or vulvular. (laughs) Vulvular. (laughs) To use the proper terminology, okay? Because let's just quickly discuss very quickly, very quickly. The vagina is not what's on outside. That's the vulva. The Vul- va- vulva. Oh. The vagina is the inside. Yeah, that's the inside. Yeah, and the whole outside is what um, people say some of Georgia O'Keeffe's flower paintings resemble. Yes, and it's t- like it's not an unfair assessment. Some of them are. They are totally vulvas. <laughs> okay, it's there, and that's totally fine. I think that a lot of the hate, if you even want to say that it's hate, is because of the fact that the art world is heavily male-dominated. And a lot of men are uncomfortable looking at Mm -hmm. women's anatomy Mm -hmm. um, in that sort of, like, up-close-and-personal way. Yeah, because it's not sexualized. It's not sexualized. In any way. Exactly. But, yeah, I think you're totally right for the male half of it but i think the other side of the coin is that we talked about people can be intimidated by art and art subject matter and all of that stuff so if all you have to remember is georgia o'keefe and vaginas like (laughs) that's a fun art anecdote and unfortunately i feel like i don't know that it's made her art disdained by the fine arts world but i think by the larger public it's just made it like this weird inside joke that everyone seems to know right just like there's no conversation beyond georgia o'keefe and vagina yeah and as jen's already mentioned that's even anatomically incorrect so (laughs) it's a it's a bad joke (laughs) and and also like that's not all of her work no she actually did did a a lot lot of of landscape a lot of landscape a lot of interesting work um in the uh southwest yep she has a lot of paintings that just depict her time in Arizona, New Mexico. New, New Mexico. Yep. New, New Mexico, Mexico is such a big art. Po- 
art hub. Yeah, and she she did a lot of paintings based on her time in New Mexico, and there's nothing vulvular about them. Like right, they're they're vulvular. <laughs> is that a word? Did it we, is now. Did we make that up? <laughs> Anatomy lessons brought to you by the Art History Babes uh, trademark. Hey, you know what? Something to quickly keep in mind is that she was involved with Alfred Stieglitz. They were. Married. Married. married, yeah, um, married. <laughs> more than involved. They were involved. <laughs> they, <laughs> they were married committed. and lived together, so they were involved. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty involved. <laughs> um, a lot of her, like this, like sort of reputation of uh, her work being associated with women's sexuality, is because of her marriage to Stieglitz, who took a lot of like nudes of her mm-hmm. and stuff, and and she's associated with them. Yeah, and also you know she's one of the few big female names in art history like one of the very few names people know you know it's Frida Kahlo Georgia O'Keeffe like there aren't a lot of female artists that people know off the top of their head she is one of them and I think it is fitting to how society has defined women as being related to their womanhood you know like she's a woman artist so her art is about being a woman so vaginas so <laughs> that's it yeah you know and it's, like yeah we're here to rectify the fact that georgia o'keefe is most known for vagina paintings and that frida kahlo is most known for her unibrow like we want to rectify yeah, those facts yeah. because they're such badass women and we're over women being kind of so sexualized into this objective manner that those are what they're seen for is they just get down to like the derivative nature of like sexuality kind of mm-hmm. like that Frida Kahlo can build, still be sexy with the unibrow and that Frida or George O'Keefe paints vaginas. Like it's so overrated that people and, just want to talk about And that. even to be fair, like George O'Keefe, she doesn't paint vaginas. She paints flowers, but the flowers do in a very interesting way, parallel vulvas. <laughs> not vaginas um, but yeah no, when I'm saying all this I'm definitely trying to like crudely quote people no no I just, that's obvious. I just think that's an important thing to remember is like she paints she does paint flowers and you know there is a debate over whether they're vaginas whether or not I stand by that there is a connection to the female anatomy happening there but they're not purely female anatomy there is that's what's interesting about them. Yeah. <laughs> like they're also they're flowers that you can also see. You can see the parallel of life happening there. You also, know? have you ever looked at a flower? It looks, looks like, like female yeah. anatomy. Exactly. Like you notice a flower it, that it's a flower first. Yeah. So that should tell you that it's not. Yeah. And that's just, I purely. mean, that's an interesting thing to think about. Like, you know, flowers as this symbol of beauty and femininity. femininity. You know, there's just interesting parallels going on there. And I think her flower paintings anyways, just very clearly represent yeah. those parallels. And she didn't invent that. Yeah. You know, people have been associating flowers with women's genitalia for millennia. Honestly. Yeah, for real. And um so deflowered? Yeah, exactly. You've been um, deflowered? Excuse me? Yeah. What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> did Georgia O'Keefe come up with that? No. <laughs> and I just don't I don't even know. I mean, even the title of the email is like, why is Georgia O'Keefe uncool? And I don't if she is uncool i don't think that she's uncool yeah, I, hope I, she's not. I think that what our listener is reacting to right now is some kind of cultural like trope 
or stereotype about this artist and it is like it's not real it's not you know if you really get into the nitty-gritty over georgia o'keefe scholars of georgia o'keefe are not running around thinking that she was just obsessed with genitalia and if it is real it's the patriarchy (laughs) and if it is real then so what fuck the patriarchy yeah and love your vulva <laughs> i think that's a perfect way to end this episode <laughs> I think so too. what more is there to i say? know there's nothing to say after Mike that drop uh, yeah. <laughs> that is it i was gonna be like should we read a listener mail but that's all we've been nope. doing this whole time <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode this was a fun one it was fun to answer some of your questions yes. Yeah, thank you for everyone who sends us emails. If you have thoughts, questions, email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Find us on every social media. Everything. We, we, we are doing it. We're doing it for the gram. We're on Instagram. We're on the, t- the Twitter. We tweet. The FB Facebook page. Status updates. We got a Pinterest. Oh, we yeah. got a Tumblr. We're pinning. We are killing. We're tumbling. We're killing <laughs> The social media game. <laughs> We're about to be on Spotify. Uh, look forward to some super dope playlists by moi. <laughs> Just Jen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, check us out on all that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye. From Testing. Testing. We're not testing anymore. (laughs) I'm testing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Testing. (laughs) (laughs) Testing. (laughs) Geico presents, oh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, While you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? (laughs) My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. (laughs) The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.